0: Well, I invite you this morning, if you would, to turn in your Bibles with me uh, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, we are turning this morning to some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. For the past three weeks, we have been talking here at Ascension, we've been talking about our hearts, right? Right? We've been talking about hearts that are prone to to fear and anxiety. Hearts that are prone to discontentment and anger. And I trust that thinking about our hearts has been helpful. It's been Jesus' own words while He was here on earth that have challenged us in large part. They've challenged us with the keeping of God's law, a keeping of that law that's deeper and and more extensive than once thought. But here's the thing. Jesus' words in the past few weeks, the life that He calls us to, I don't want us to leave this series thinking that all of this is a burden. This is not a burden. At least not as we think of burdens. This is not just greater religiosity it, Jesus is imposing on His followers. Do this and don't do that. Start doing this and stop doing that. Now what Jesus is doing is, is inviting us into His very life the life that you were created for. And so as I thought about this week closing out this mini-series of sorts, I want us to do so reflecting for a few minutes solely on a different heart, a better heart. Not our own hearts, but the heart of our Savior, the heart of Jesus. In the context that these words were spoken, they actually come on the heels of some pretty difficult words that Jesus had to say, particularly to those who rejected Him. But to those of us who believe these words, who understand these words, who really digest these words, these words can't be sweeter. And so that's my hope this morning. This last month, we've entitled this series, Matters of the Heart. Today is the matter of the heart. Listen as I read, and I invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Just three verses. Listen as I read. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden There's a familiar statue that I suspect all of us have seen at some point. If not in person, we've probably seen a picture of it. One of the most famous representations of this statue is, is in New York City at Rockefeller Center. It's a statue of the Greek Titan Atlas. His muscular body hoisting this giant globe. Can you picture that statue in your mind of of Atlas holding the world aloft? We see that statue. We see pictures of that statue. There are various representations of it around the world. But I'm thinking of that statue at Rockefeller Center, that bronze thing that's ginormous. And we see that statue and we see atlas with his chiseled abs and his his bulging biceps with the with the world in his grasp and i think when we see that statue we think strength right we think that is a can-do attitude we think i got this not even know the history of why it's there at rockefeller center be interesting to know why it is there But did you know that in Greek mythology, going back to your school days, or some of you kids may be studying Greek mythology, did you know that in Greek mythology, Titan, excuse me, Atlas, who was a Titan, Atlas's plight of holding the world above him is actually not a celebration, it's actually a punishment. It's actually a punishment. You see, Zeus handed down to Atlas this punishment because he fought with the Olympian gods. And so he said, for all of eternity, Atlas is responsible for bearing the weight of the heavens. And so when you see Atlas with his chiseled abs and bulging biceps, he doesn't want to be there. It's a punishment. Why do I bring up this story of Greek mythology? Well, I bring it up this morning because I think it illustrates how we often choose to live our lives. It's all up to me. And while the world at times extols this as a virtue... We, we simply get more and more tired because it's all up to me. Dear friends, the good news this morning is that you are not responsible for bearing the weight of the heavens. In fact, you need not even bear the weight of your own stuff. At least, not alone. You see, this is a passage for those who are weary. Are you weary this morning? I am. Of course, I'm not talking about physical weariness. I'm not talking about mental exhaustion. I'm talking about a restlessness of the soul. This takes various forms in our lives, depending upon where we are in our spiritual journey. But all of us, to some degree, in some manner, are trying to get it right. We're striving in various capacities to be enough. Jesus spoke these words in the first century and he was specifically addressing a religious system of his day, right? A religious system that had, under the leadership of a group, no, a group of men known as the Pharisees, a religious system that had been added to and that had been abused. Jesus will say of these leaders to the crowds in a little bit in Matthew 23, He will say this, the scribes and the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Well, that was then... But what about us here today? Are Jesus' words still applicable? Are they still for us, His people? Maybe some of us sit here today burdened by the law, but I suspect many of us aren't burdened by the law, at least not that specific burden. Some of us don't even know what God requires of us. But I do think that there is a restlessness and a weariness of soul that we all feel in some capacity and to varying degrees. Right? The complex web of brokenness that we have to navigate every day. The, the persistent sin within us. The, the self-imposed demands upon us to measure up in some way. The culture that says, you can do this. You gotta do this. You're enough. Just get it done. And so we're holding up that globe above our heads. But we're not holding it with strength. We're we're holding it barely, stumbling to keep it aloft. And so these words are for us today. And to the unbeliever who sits here, to the one who doesn't know Jesus, the one trying to find satisfaction, the one trying to be good enough, Jesus speaks to you today and he says, I am more than enough. And to those of you who sit here and know and love Jesus already but are trying to live your lives out of your own private reserves, Jesus says, there is more of me to be had. And so there's two simple encouragements for us this morning. Two simple encouragements that I want us to see out of these three verses. And the first one is this. Believe and know the heart of Jesus. Believe and know the heart of Jesus. Now when I say no, I'm, I'm not wanting us to just see, to intellectually digest, and, and to store up in our brains, but to actually let that knowledge seep down into our souls. Know the heart of Jesus. Know what makes Him tick. Know what, as one author says, Causes him to get up in the morning. Because this Jesus who spoke these words some 2,000 years ago is not dead. He's alive. And his heart is still beating. And his heart is still beating for you. And his heart is still beating for me. And of course, when the Bible talks about our hearts, the Bible is not talking about our emotions. Right, That's what we think about when we see a heart on a Hallmark card. But the Bible is talking about our hearts in the, in, in the sense that our hearts are the CPUs of our lives, the central processing units, the center, the core. It's what we're all about. And so 89 chapters... In four gospel accounts, and there's one place where Jesus reveals his heart to his people. He uses two words to describe what gets him out of bed in the morning, what gets him excited. Verse 29, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Those are the two descriptors that Jesus uses to convey his stance towards you and I. Gentle and lowly. Now let me say this, we can't possibly plumb the depths of even those two words, let alone these three verses that we're looking at this morning. But I want to commend a book to you. This is a little commercial here in the middle. Don't get any commission for this. Don't get any payback on this. But there's a book called Gentle and Lowly. I talked about it in a Wednesday Word months ago. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It is one of the best books. This is not hyperbolic. It's one of the best books for my soul that I've ever read outside of the Bible. If you need to go deeper into the heart of Jesus for you, get that book and read it and reread it. But let's scratch the service. Gentle and lowly. Gentle is the Greek word that Jesus used back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 where He says the meek will inherit the earth. And when the Greeks thought about meekness, they often thought about weakness. And I fear we can do the same. But meekness is not weakness. It is actually constro- controlled strength. Those who exude gentleness prove themselves to be incredibly strong. They're strong for the sake of others. So Ortland says in his book, one of my favorite quotes in the entire book, "Jesus is not trigger-happy." He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Now just let that sink in for a moment. The Son of God, blameless and beautiful, is gentle towards those of us who are trying desperately to be the same. And then there's the word lowly. When Jesus says He is lowly, what Jesus is telling us, what He's saying in part is that that He gets us. As the psalmist penned, He remembers that we are dust. He, He remembers, He knows because He made Himself dust like us. And so when Paul in the book of Romans uses this Greek word translated as lowly here, he says this, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. In other words, Jesus is a friend of the broken. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God made flesh is for us. And He's not for us on a pedestal on high, but He's for us here and now, in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew will speak of Jesus fulfilling the words of Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, which says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. A bruised reed, the battered, the already battered are not knocked down further, the smouldering wick, those burning slowly and barely hanging on are not smothered. You're burdened. He understands. You're weary. He knows, and he wants you to know by sharing his heart with you. He can be trusted. I'm gentle. I am lowly. Believe and know the heart of Jesus. That's where we begin. Because his heart offers what we need and what we long for, the end of uncertainty, the end of the treadmill. Rest. Rest. And that's where we go next because he tells us how to get there. And here's the second truth, find rest in the person of Jesus. Once you believe and know his heart for you, find rest in the person of Jesus. Thinking about these verses that I just read these three verses, one writer says this. These words are self-authenticating. They are beyond the inv- the invention of any human writer. No one making up words for a divine figure would either have the insight or the daring to say them. Anyone who understands these words has come into the very heart of Christianity. So let's understand them. Jesus has three words Come to me. Come is the invitation. Despite the mess that you are, knowing His heart for you, come. To. Come to. Notice He says doesn't say come after. He's not asking you to follow yet. He's first asking you just to come. Experience the rest that He is ready to give. The rest begins... When you stop working not when you start come to and then me come to me this is this is personal this is exclusive this is more than an ideology he doesn't say come to my teaching come to my miracles come to me One pastor talking about people's desire for an airtight argument for Christianity says this, God didn't send us an airtight argument, God sent us an airtight person. And indeed, the person of Jesus, these self-authenticating words that came out of His mouth, His resurrection from the grave, they compel us to believe who He is. And what He can, will, and wants to do for those who will come to Him. I have rest for you. I have a new way for you to be human. The true way for you to be human. As Jesus says these words in the context of His Jewish crowd here He's hinting at an Old Testament verse that the Jews would have been familiar with. It's one of my favorite verses. Jeremiah 6.16, "...Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls." In other words, Jesus is not only speaking a balm for weary souls... He is claiming to be God Himself. He is claiming to be the fulfillment of Yahweh's promise in Jeremiah 31 when He says, I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. And so we gather this morning to proclaim that the day of rest has come in Jesus. I will give you rest. You will find rest. He says it twice in these verses. But he also says something else twice in these verses. There's another word that is prominent. And it's the word yoke. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. Now, we don't live in an agrarian society. Kids, that means a society where farming is done, and that's kind of the main deal farming and raising cattle and milking cows and that kind of thing we don't live in an agrarian society and so when we hear yoke what do we think of we think of eggs right we think of an egg now if i were in the south if we were in the south i i might draw your attention to the fact that you've probably seen a yoke hanging above you at a cracker barrel at some point if you've ever been to Cracker Barrel you know what that's like there's all these farm implements that are hanging above you and there's probably in some Cracker Barrels a yoke a yoke is this wooden beam a wooden frame that joins two animals together most likely oxen in order to pull heavy loads whether it be that a, a plow in a field or a cart on a path And so Jesus says, take my yoke. And you're thinking, wait a second, you just said come to you. You just said rest is what we're after. And you're telling me that the path to rest is through a different burden? And the answer is yes and no. I want you to think about the yoke that Jesus offers to you that He tells you to take up in a couple of different angles, in a couple of different ways, Jesus is first inviting you to an exchange of sorts. Give me your burden. Give me your yoke, your yoke of sin and slavery to that sin. Lay down all of your doing, and just accept mine. I've done it all. It's finished. There's nothing more that needs to be added. Right, 2 Corinthians 5:21 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might be the righteousness of God. But Jesus is not only inviting you to an exchange of yokes, he's inviting you to a union. A union. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. Remember, he said, come to me. So when he says, take my yoke, he is saying, put me on. My yoke is myself. And not only that, but, but let me get in that yoke with you. Right? Jesus is not the farmer. Who takes the yoke off you, puts his yoke on you, and then just sits at the edge of the field and watches you work. Jesus is not simply giving you a new plow and a new field. No, Jesus is the farmer who takes the yoke, which is himself, and he fits you and him in that yoke together. And so you're yoked to Jesus. You're united to Him. You're learning of Him and from Him. You're letting Him carry the load of the work that He has prepared. That's what Jesus invites you to. Take My yoke. Let Me in there with you. You see, rest doesn't equal Inactivity, as I heard one preacher proclaim, rest is holy bondage to your created purpose. And because you and I were made for the ancient paths that Yahweh spoke of in Jeremiah that Jesus returns us to here in Matthew 11, because we are yoked to Jesus who has done all that we need to do, who is in that yoke with us, we just simply have to stay in it with Him. Because of that, the yoke is easy. The burden is light. Because it's not yours alone to bear. Brothers and sisters, for you and I, a better yoke awakes. He knows what you need. He is what you need. And He wants to give Himself to you. So stop gasping for air that you're not meant to breathe. But come, accept, abide, and find rest for your souls in Jesus. You know, I began with this picture in your mind's eye of, of atlas holding up the world you know there's an opposite picture that i want to leave you with this morning it's the kid's song he's got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole world in his hands that image is reality reality And when we come to know Jesus' heart and trust that heart, when we are willing to rest in that heart and in the person and work of Jesus, only then are we living as we are created to be. Come to me. Take my yoke and find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for these words of our Savior Words that are so deep and rich that we've barely plumbed them this morning, but we thank you for the reminder that in the midst of our weariness, in the midst of our striving to be enough, we can be reminded that Jesus, you are enough, and that Jesus, you are with us, you know us. Your heart is for us. And so as we think about living our lives, may we remember who we are and whose we are. As we think about striving to live lives that that aren't fearful and anxious, that aren't discontent or prone to anger, Father, may we know May we remember, may we draw from the strength of the One who is yoked to us, the One in whom we hide, the One who is our strength. Holy Spirit, thank You that You are with us, that You are for Your people. Father, give us the strength as we go from this place, we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen.